time has come to retool our playing for ourselves, for our students, and for the greater groove. And the big question remains, of course, what is the future of strings? Come on, let's talk about it. Tracy Silverman, and thanks for tuning in to the For the Greater Groove podcast, where we discuss the future of strings, where strings are headed, and how we bring strings more into our mainstream popular culture. And this is really a special show. I've got Mr. Mark O'Connor here with me today. Mark O'Connor is simply a legend in the Americana string world. There are very few people who have had a career as wide and as deep as this gentleman's career, and he ain't done yet. The guy is a multiple Grammy winner, first of all, most recently in 2017 for Coming Home, the first album from the Mark O'Connor Band. He's got seven CMA awards. He was the CMA Musician of the Year six times in a row. He's a four-time national old-time fiddler champion, three-time grandmaster fiddler champion, two-time national guitar flat pick champion, and world mandolin champion, all achieved in his teens. <laughs> okay, so that's how he got started. Member of the David Grisman Quintet, the Dixie Dregs, a Nashville session musician, A-lister for many years, playing a prominent role on records by James Taylor, Paul Simon, Yo-Yo Ma and Edgar Meyer on one of the best-selling classical crossover albums of all time, Appalachia Waltz. He's written nine concertos, one of which his first concerto is the most performed concerto in the last 50 years with over 250 performances, something that's almost unheard of for contemporary music. His new Markology 2 solo guitar record. Everybody thinks of Mark O'Connor as a violinist. This is his second solo guitar record. His guitar playing is off the charts, people. If you haven't heard it, you must check out the first Markology and Markology 2. Bela Fluck wrote the album notes for this new CD, and he says, I'm a bit stunned at the sheer technical bravado his guitar playing is capable of, including that bit of jealousy that I've always had at how well this guy's hands work. The great tones he pulls from his guitars puts us mortal musicians into a state of awe. And it's true. And it's true. Also, the author of The O'Connor Method, using Americana music as a way to teach kids, and his touring group, the duo, the Mark O'Connor duo, with his wife, Maggie O'Connor, who is also an amazing fiddler and singer, and his great shows on Monday nights, his Mondays with Mark and Maggie. He's a busy guy. Mark O'Connor, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show here and talk with us today. All right, Tracy. 
Man, <laughs> that that intro is like... <laughs> It's a lot, man. How am I going to follow that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've had a hell of a career, man. <laughs> it's really been something to watch what you've done over the years, how you always seem to uh, to find the pulse of what's going on in the Americana world, to work with the greatest musicians uh, that are around who are dying to work with you, uh, and just one project after the next. It's it's exhilarating. <laughs> Man, all the memories come flooding back as you, as you, as you read off that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But, you know, today we're really focusing on this future of strings idea and specifically grooving and how we bring that groove onto our instruments. And for our first segment, I do this groove hacker segment which is where I speak with my guests about how they go about getting the groove onto their instruments. And everybody has a different way of doing this. With some people, it's chopping. With some people, it's, uh, it's just different rhythmic devices. But you've spent so many years playing in string bands, um, the David Grisman band, so many in all of your ensembles and all the session work that you've done over the years. What are some of the... Uh, some of the techniques and and just your thoughts about how you bring the rhythm into your violin playing. And maybe you have a couple of examples of how you do that. Yeah. Um, well, I've always made it a priority to uh, create um, rhythmic phrasing um, within my, uh, you know, fiddling. And I, I kind of grew up doing that. I mean, you know, in the um, kind of old-time fiddle scene, um, the fiddler often kind of drives the groove with the melody. And, um, and that's one of the hardest things for, I think, a lot of classical musicians to um, grab a hold of. I think one of the secrets, I think, to my success is that whenever I was playing, you know, a lead line, a solo, a, a melodic line, um, there was an element of groove in the phrasing. I would be able to interpret um, the, the rhythm and the, and the rhythmic feel around me and just absorb it and, uh, you know, and just like cast it um, in, into my playing. Um, mm -hmm. But the fiddling taught me to do it in reverse, where if the groove wasn't happening around me, I would, I would demand it from my instrument, um, uh -huh. even while I was playing the tune. So it worked both ways and having that flexibility of um, you know, willing your groove onto a rhythm section, or adopting the groove that's around you, and then mm -hmm. and then and then just basically kind of sinking into it, um, right. was was something that um, I had done you know my whole career. So how would you how how does that happen? How does that work? How do you uh, let's say you're not feeling the rhythm coming out of the rhythm section? How do you um, bring that to them? How do you bring it out of the fiddle part? Well, one of the things that I, I concentrate a lot on uh, when I teach um, and, and in my O'Connor Method book series is that um, I introduce uh, early on the concept of musical language um, to students, like right from the very beginning. I mean, it really happens um, where we, you know, we combine melodic interest with rhythmic, you know, and it starts right from the beginning with Boiling Cabbage Down, you uh -huh. know, where like I can go, uh, 
And there's a certain kind of bounce um, and groove and swing that I can get when I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. A typical, um, you know, a typical student that doesn't understand how to find that groove point yet um, could play the same thing, uh, but with less groove. But it might be nice intonation, nice tone, you know, maybe quote unquote, you know, okay violin playing. Right. You know, but it doesn't right. make you want to dance, you know. So what's, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so finding that groove point in every tune that you're doing, and you can achieve it through um, tunes, you know, melodic playing, musical language. Um, Tracy, another thing that I really um, want to kind of reintroduce into the scene because it was so fundamental in learning how to play um, swing for me is, is ragtime, you know, because uh -huh. all the fiddlers played ragtime. And so, you know, and remember the double shuffle, um, you know, um, is born out of ragtime because it's got that syncopation. You know, so yep. you can really yep. get a really kind of great groove with it. It's like it's, you know, it's a technique, but it's also a rhythmic feel. And then as soon as you get into that concept of applying rhythmic groove to your lines, um, and then, um, then the music just wakes up. It just, everything, yep. the spirit is, starts <laughs> to lift. And that's Americana. That is American music um, in, in its entirety, I think. Uh, rhythm, rhythm is about Americana. I love that, uh, that turn of phrase that makes the music lift. Uh, it does. It just breathes life into it. What is what is the difference? A, a minute ago, you demonstrated um, how you know you would play "Boil Them Cabbage Down," and then how somebody with, let's say, a more you know classical type of approach would play it without the groove. What is the difference? What's the difference? What are you doing that's different? It's very subtle, but in in your thinking process, what is that? Well, you know, part part of the thinking process when it comes to groove is also a physicality as well. You yes. gotta you've gotta marry the mind with the body. And you gotta you gotta put some of the music into your body. It's like when we think about you know violin playing, um, we can't think of it as like you know, an upper torso thing. Uh, yes. you know, you've got to put the groove into our legs. Um, yep. And sometimes you can get that going um, easily um, uh, with foot tapping. You know, like if you can get your foot tapping, it's not just yep. marking out the beats, but it's putting the rhythm into your entire body. Exactly. And, then, and that lifts back up through your playing. So, you know, once you become good at foot tapping uh, while you play, then you not, might not necessarily need to do it, um, but still feel the rhythm in your legs at the yes. same time. So it's yep. that kind of uh, correlation that I'm thinking about. So like, uh, you know, when, what, once you start tapping your foot and you start feeling the uh, subdivisions, uh, the backbeats, <laughs> yep. uh, then you're starting to get into uh, um, <laughs> what Americana music is all about. You know, so, so like all Beautiful. of a sudden it goes right into your lines. You know, you can yep. carry that same feeling into the yeah. thing where, 
you know, like you don't have to stick to the tune or stick to the rhythm. It just starts to permeate your, you yes. know, your essence, you know? Yes. You know, I have this theory that this is the way all of the classical composers wanted us to play their music. Uh, not necessarily in the Americana groove, but in their groove. So when they were writing, when Bach was writing his solo things, when Mozart was writing, um, you know, rhythmic motor parts uh, in the string quartets that the viola player is doing, you know, stuff like that, and Ina Klein and Ach music and whatever. Um, I don't think he meant them to be like perfectly, exactly, you know, 16, 16th notes that are perfectly uh, even because they look that way on the page. You know, all the dots look the same size. But uh, I, I've always felt that when you bring, bring uh, some kind of a feel, physicality to it, it wakes it up. It, like you're saying, it just, you know, it breathes some life into it. And, and I think that life uh, needs to be breathed into Americana music and we kind of... Uh, you know, know what that sounds like because you guys are still alive and we're here. It's a lot, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, an art form that's still living. But when we go back to the classical stuff, we don't have anybody still alive from Bach's time. So we don't know, but it's my intuition that he wanted the same kind of life brought into his music. Well, I, I think, um, I think so. I think the writing of Bach um, is full of syncopation for, for one thing, because yeah. Um, the way the, the notes are grouped and, um, and, you know, he was using, um, you know, the fiddle across the strings in chordal positions in, in, in my view, uh, much yeah. more so than, um, going up and down the neck, trying to avoid string crosses. I mean, that's, that's the thing that I think that's the secret that everybody's starting to realize is that the fiddlers have an authenticity to that era. So yeah. you go back 400 years and they had a, they had a good um, idea about how to pass that stuff on without too many, um, you know, updates. <laughs> um, not yeah. until maybe arguably the last couple of generations uh, where there's been some real progressive. Uh, and, you know, I've been a part of that movement, too. But I, I do it with this uh, this, you know, entire history of me learning from these grandparent figures born around the turn of the century that were teaching me the old stuff. So I like the idea of the, you know, the old and the new kind of thing, bringing it together. Yes. But th there's yep. definitely, I think um, in the progression of music, I think the Americans and the American scene um, probably have added a lot to the rhythmic nature of playing that I think some of the old Europeans um, would be uh, envious of, honestly, because I think that they would have loved to have had that type of interpretation on some of the music they were writing, but they probably couldn't get, um, you know, everything out of those players in Europe um, at that point that maybe the music, uh, you know, was really speaking. Um, yeah. Especially, uh, you know, uh, you know, in the Baroque era, um, there was a lot more kind of fiddling influence playing. Uh, like before Paganini, there was Locatelli doing his very rhythmic caprices, you know, which right. kind of like remind me a little bit of some of the work that I was doing with my caprices. And it yeah. was an inspiration mm -hmm. for me to do what I did. Yeah. And Vivaldi, of course, also a wonderful um, fiddler, you know, um, bringing all of that uh, subdivision into so many, so many things, you know, all that kind of, 
a rhythm, the very alive, danceable rhythms that were going on. And uh, I just think it's uh, so important to bring this physicality into classical music as well as our popular music. We expect it, you know, that we're sort of used to that. We dance to that. But, you know, people were dancing back then. They were just different dances, <laughs> you know, currants and sarabands and things like that. Um, technically, what are you doing with your bow with like the balance point and the off the string? You have this amazing ability that uh, uh, I, I didn't really appreciate until I had a chance to actually be in the room with you, next, standing next to you and watching you play. And I realized how um, articulated you make your, your, uh, a lot of your bow strokes. They're a little bit more off the string than I always thought um, string uh, fiddlers you know, um, were doing. And it's a much more articulated kind of sound. Um, talk about that for a second, and maybe you have an example of how you use that rhythmically in a, in a tune or something. Yeah, well, some, you know, I mean, a lot of the things that we look at when we play is like, you know, where on the beat are we, you know, emphasizing? I mean, are we right square on it? Are we going to push it? Um, and um, so one of the things that I noticed, especially, I mean, uh, uh, Tracy, you're in Nashville. I used to live in Nashville. And yep. one of the things that I picked up when I started to play <clears throat> modern session recording um, at that time in the 80s was there was a lot more electric instruments. And um, a lot of these electric instruments had a, a front edge to the attack, you know, whether it was a, a Telecaster guitar or a, a steel guitar with, you know, a, a steel finger pick, you know. Yep. And so all of a sudden... <laughs> I remember doing some of my first sessions and um, we would go into the, uh, uh, you know, cons control room and listen back. And it felt like I was late all the time because I was ah, swooshing the notes and right. I, I wasn't helping um, the groove. Um, right. Even when I was doing simple whole notes or half notes, I was like behind all the time and going, I'm not behind on the guy right on it. So I also was able to kind of perfect putting a tip on my bow stroke. And boy, that really is amazing in helping to articulate the groove of your phrasing, even, even whole notes. So uh, I ended up being able to do uh, you know, even uh -huh. things like that. I played, you know, Old Blue with James right. Taylor. So I wasn't swishing as much anymore. I was putting a point on every bow yeah. stroke so it would pop out of the track. Yeah. And then I had the beautiful sustain to follow it, you know? Um, right. And boy, that really um, um, brought in a whole nother opportunity for uh, string players. Um, and um, I could still play smoothly, but I could also put a tip on each stroke. You've got this great tune, the cricket dance. Would you play? And I remember that having a lot of subdivision. Um, any chance I can get you to play a oh, bar yeah. two of that and demonstrate that off the bow kind of stroke? So another, yeah. So another thing that I've been working on for you know decades now is uh, an off the string playing um, where it's a, a rhythmical kind of um, kind of language uh, because a lot of times when we when we consider off the string playing. 
it's usually more focused into a, like a virtuosic type of application. Um, right. It's supposed to wow you and, and it's like a flourish and a caprice-like type of, um, um, you know, excerpt or interruption um, to uh, something else. And sometimes it, it, it feels overly technical. And that kind of always bothered me because I was always trying to, to um, you know, marry my technique into my soul. You know, like, mm. like I didn't like to separate those two things. I wanted to yes. have my technique be at service to the heart of the music. So I started to come up with off the string playing that really contributed to the groove. And like uh, the cricket dance, which is a, uh, an original composition, really exemplifies that. I mean, that's such a distinctive sound that you have created. Um, I can imagine other fiddle players playing that much more on the string, detaché, and it would just be laborious sounding, you know, and it wouldn't have that lightness and, and agility that you bring to it. I mean, that's the, really the secret. So I'm able to go into off the string playing, even when I'm doing swing, you know, or bluegrass yeah. or any any kinds of things. Um, I remember there was this. Uh, we did. Um, you mentioned the Mark O'Connor band getting one of these Grammys back here. We had one yeah. of our songs <laughs> that we actually performed on the Grammys. Um, it was this up tempo bluegrass thing, and I, and I I, I went to see. Stuff like that, where wow. I was yeah. going off the string, but really, you know, into that bluegrass groove, and and there was no reason why, um, you know, just going off the string, I would have to leave a sense of you know, like fiddling groove, you know. So it was really a, a, a new application, and um, mm. and I love doing that. And you can also finding the balance point in the bow is usually pretty much in the middle of the of the stick. And you find the balance point, and then you can experiment how far you want to take it off. Um, yep. And, you know, after you get you know, better at it, you can go further off without losing the groove. Yeah. And it does have more of that attack and decay kind of uh, wave shape that a guitar has. When you pick a guitar, there's a sharp attack and then a quick, you know, decay, and it just rings. Um, being off the string, uh, I found I, I do this um, when I'm you know, trying to sound more like a guitar to, to play rock, I do the same thing. I play much shorter off the string notes because it's just more typical of that, um, of that guitar kind of sound. Uh, and speaking of guitar, you know, everybody knows Mark O'Connor as the name is synonymous with fiddling and violin virtuosity. Uh, but 
you know, a, a lot of people may not realize what a virtuoso guitarist you are and have been all your career. You were actually the guitar player in the Dave Grisman Quintet. Is that correct? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I auditioned for that band when I was just out of high school and I got in. Yeah, on, on guitar. And, um, and your Marcology record that you put out 42 years ago... Just uh, at the age of uh, two or three, I guess, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, I mean, you must have been, you were, you know, I, I guess a teenager at the time and um, uh, an amazing record. And now you've put out a sequel to it, uh, Marcology 2. But, you know, m my whole stromboing method is based on the way guitar players play. You know, the whole idea of stromboing, specifically the way rhythm guitar players keep time in a band and i'm really curious to know how your guitar playing has influenced your sense of rhythm and how you play that rhythm on the violin how playing the guitar has you know influenced your violin playing yeah it really has i mean going back to the fiddle tradition that i grew up in uh, playing in fiddle competitions and fiddle contests I ended up backing up on guitar most of my competitors. <laughs> so there was really... <laughs> That's funny. You know, there were so few rhythm guitarists at some of these contests. Some of them no had way. more. Some of them really? had less. And then, of course, I was a good guitar player and all my buddies, hey, man, will you play? <laughs> will you help me win? Will you, will you help me beat you in the contest? I go, okay. so did you, you mess know? up the chords for them? And <laughs> <laughs> I never did. And, uh, <laughs> good. Uh, but, I, but it really... It, it, it also provided that sense of, you know, ultra collaboration. I mean, I mean, you were like yeah. um, in a position to really uh, make a musical contribution. And it was at, without, you know, you had to tune everything else out in those moments. And um, so, yeah, so constantly I was learning from my own, uh, uh, from my own uh, multi-instrumentalist um, behaviors. Matter of fact, one of my earliest teachers, he said on my first album, that I was isolated up there in Seattle, Washington, where I grew up. And I was really only around these really amazing players, um, except for Benny Thompson, who, who had lived right near me. And I took lessons from him all year. But all the others, I really only saw during the summertime. And right. so I created my own band. Of, you know, I played the guitar, played the mandolin. So as I was playing <laughs> um, the violin, I had references to how the other instruments work. So similar, I think, to Tracy, what you're doing as a professional musician, because you're, you know, you're able to expand your mind uh, enough to be able to really study and incorporate things that you that you've uh, experienced. You know, when you're a kid, sometimes it is nice to be able to play a little bit of piano and a little bit of guitar yeah. to help your string playing. Yes. Uh, and I would say mandolin too. You know, you can see a mandolin right behind me, um, yeah. because you know there's a sense of you know rhythmic, you know plectrum playing um, with the same fingering, the, the mandolin being. Um, it's a nice right. you know um, instrument to be able to refer to. I think and uh, and uh, I help. I think it helps uh, rhythmically. Yeah. Well, the whole function uh, is different um, when you're a guitar player. Um, unless you're taking a, a solo, uh, you are often backing up somebody else. You're providing backup for a singer, for an instrumentalist. 
you're playing chords, you're playing rhythms, uh, and you're doing functionally something very different from playing the melody. Um, you know, you're providing a groove and chords for people. Uh, and that whole function and the way that happens physically with a strum, with a continuous strum motion, which is uh, different from the way string players tend to play, which is as it comes, you know, and that uh, is so fundamentally different that I think, um, you know, to be honest, I think it would do uh, most string players a world of good to just play a guitar for a couple of months and just kind of, uh, you know, have some reference to it because of the way uh, it, it teaches you about other uh, the other part of the band, the rhythm section, you know, so many violinists are just used to, you know, I, I sometimes refer to it as like being uh, on a, a boat on the water. You think the ocean is this wonderful flat thing, you know, and they forget that there's all of this depth to the ocean, everything that's going on underneath you. And musically, you know, the, the metaphor would be, uh, you know, chords and rhythms and bass lines and all of that is underneath that surface of the melody. But most string players never never even get down there to take a look. <laughs> so I think playing the guitar or the piano is a wonderful way to see the bigger musical picture. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think guitar really is, I mean, I think it's, um, it has, it's, it's easily matched the piano in terms of importance to string playing um, as an accompaniment instrument. And uh, for instance, um, you mentioned Vivaldi a little bit earlier in the podcast. Um, I composed my own seasons. It's called the American Seasons. Yes. And Vivaldi used um, a harpsichord in the continuo. I used the guitar. Like it's perfect, right? It's like very similar. What harpsichord was to a string player in the in the 1700s, guitar yeah. is to American string playing. So I don't mm -hmm. think uh, it would hurt at all. Also, the 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 idea that you know almost every household has a guitar now probably and somewhere right. in the attic and in, in the closet yeah and also <laughs> there's so many singer singers and songwriters it's just you know it, it allows more collaboration uh, ability you know so like uh, um, this is a, a guitar that I had custom made for me uh, Colorado Guitar Company is just so beautiful gorgeous. that yeah. beautiful kind of right hand yes fiddle bowing right there yes. on, on this right i and you know i was watching your hand do that and i'm going like wow it's almost like he just swapped out the instrument for a second he's doing the same thing your hand is moving the same way i was as you were playing that i was thinking to myself and i hate to put you on the spot but if you tried to play that what you were just i know it wasn't a prepared thing you were just jam just playing some chords but if you did try to do the same thing on a fiddle, what would that sound like? Yeah. You want me to grab it? Yeah. Do you mind? Okay. Yep. Okay. 
something like that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it, that is so amazing to see the juxtaposition of the guitar and the fiddle. And what I noticed right now, which is um, actually kind of a, against my whole strum bowing concept, which is all the continuous strumming motion of the arm, which you were doing with the bow in order to replicate the shifting accents that you were doing on the guitar, is how you are slurring with the bow. You know, you're going down, down, uh, down, down, the slur, down, down, you know, things like that, groupings that were allowing accents to come out in different ways, but keeping the same kind of um, the strum bowing or the just the idea of subdivision happening in your hand. Even if you're breaking it to slur, you still have the feeling of this continuous kind of relaxed subdivision in your bow arm yeah there's something there's um a technique where i really um um i really brought out to um to the forefront where i'm using a lot of up bows rhythmically and i yes. can place it into a groove um and 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 so i'm going to go back to a boiling cabbage down for a second so you've got the yeah. normal cabbage bowing which is and yep, you can taters. do that in a track like say a country music track you know but what I realized is that as soon as you did that, it's such a fiddle-strong rhythm. It feels like, you know, everybody literally has to go with you uh, or feel it feels off. And sometimes it is hard to dictate from, from the violin what the drummer yeah. and the bass player and the electric guitar players are doing. So I came up with this other thing, which is more up bows. And I can, I can fill in... Uh, the big down beats with using really expressive ands, the back beats, like, like. So it's that constant slur, three, four. Yeah. You know, so I, I'm kind of like always anticipating with an up bow because the up bow um, in string playing, as I consider it, is more of a free stroke. It's like where you put the swing. But if mm. you put the up bow on down beats, then you're mm -hmm. into some juicy territory where yeah. you can, like you reverse the bow. Um, yeah. And then the down beat becomes um, a little bit of a, of a free zone for the string player in the groove. Where like the real strong bass and drums can dictate that boom, right. boom. And right. you're kind of moving in with the up bow and then coming down and placing the, you know, it's basically bowing in reverse. Um, yeah. And it works so great. I can't tell you. It works so great in, in a, a rhythm section. Yeah. Um, yes. And you yeah. can put that kind of cabbage and country type bowing in there without having to dominate um, you know, and, and put the, all the attention on yourself because that's, I think a lot of string players don't really want to do that all the time. They want to kind of fit in cool, you know, like, yeah. I'm going to yep. slide right in there with you guys. And sometimes doing the up bow and anticipating the downbeat with the up bow and putting accents on the, on the downbeat of the up bow slur is a cool thing. That's an excellent thing. It's a wonderful tip. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, just a joy to watch your bow arm at work. <laughs> well, Mark, we're gonna have a little fun. If you're uh, if you're game for uh, for this, this is a little segment that I call "Not 
my gig. And this is based on the uh, um, NPR, wait, wait, don't tell me, NPR news quiz show, uh, where they have a segment called Not My Job, and where we ask you things, uh, trivia questions about something you just have probably no idea about. So, Mark O'Connor, you have written a piece called The Improvised Violin Concerto. So, we're going to find out how much you know about improv comedy. <laughs> so, get two out of three questions right, and you win. There's no prize attached. <laughs> okay, here's your first question. It's multiple choice. Many of the current rules of comedic improv were first formalized in the late 1950s and early 60s, initially among the Compass Players Troupe, which led to the Second City. In what city did this take place? Was it Chicago? A? Oh, I didn't even have to tell you, see? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try to fool you with, like, Toronto, San oh, Francisco. Oh, that's good. That's close. Okay, good. <laughs> well, good start. Good start. <laughs> Let's right. see if my luck holds. All right, here we go. Second question. The most important rule in improv comedy is A, timing, B, yes and, or C, no but. <laughs> so that's A, timing, B, yes and, or C, no but. Yes, yes and. Correct. You are absolutely correct. So I got the two out of three. You got the two out of three already. You got two out of two. 100%. Yes. Uh, accepting another actor's choices or offers, they're called in improv uh, speak, is usually accompanied by adding a new one, often building on an earlier offer. This is a process improvisers refer to as yes and and is considered the cornerstone of improvisational technique, has also been borrowed by psychologists, counselors, and business consultants as a way of building rapport with partners. All right, two out of two. Here's number three. Which of these is not an accepted category of improv comedy? A, short form. B, long form. C, freestyle. Which is not a an accepted category. Okay, I'll I'll say uh, freestyle. You are right again, my friend. You <laughs> well, are you know. nailing it. <laughs> Proving once again that Mark O'Connor's instincts are always on the money. <laughs> Man, it's been such a joy to have you on this show. It wouldn't be a podcast about the future of strings without Mark O'Connor. So uh -oh. Thank you so much, man. And and tell the good listeners, as if they didn't know where to find you, um, where's the best place to connect with Mark O'Connor? Absolutely. So, you know, markoconnor.com is my site. We also have a weekly online show called uh, Mondays with Mark and Maggie. And Tracy Silverman was one of our guests <laughs> I uh, a few it. months what ago. A, and fun. then... Uh, the Cricket Dance and the Beaumont Reg that I quoted and so many other American pieces are uh, in my book series, uh, The O'Connor Method. Yep. And uh, there's a different color for each level. And it starts at the very beginning, and some of it goes like to what I call the conservatory level of playing uh, technically and yep. with the literature as well. And so check that out, O'ConnorMethod.com. 
Yes, a wonderful resource and a way to bring uh, American folk music and a lot of the rhythm and groove of American folk music to young players uh, all over the world. We are so grateful to have that and everything that you have contributed to our musical culture. Mark O'Connor, what a pleasure. Thanks so much for being here, man. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Beautiful. Thanks for listening. If you want to stay in touch, please join the For the Greater Groove Facebook group. See ya. Groove on. Groove on.